You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. In a series that we've been kind of talking about uh, what it looks like to be balanced. And we've been talking again about that balance, that beautiful, incredible, awesome balance between grace and truth. And how Jesus kind of walked in and he maintained the fullness of both grace um, and truth. And one of the disciples uh, named John, he made this observation about Jesus in uh, John chapter 1 and verse 14. And he said, and the word became flesh. And he's kind of describing Jesus there. And that he dwelt among us. And, and we saw or we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And, and John makes this incredible uh, observation full of grace and truth. As I stated early on in the series, all of us, every one of us in this room, we all kind of tend to go to one extreme or the other. We're either really heavy or we're big on uh, grace and light on truth, or we're really, you know, heavy on truth and light on grace. And one of the beautiful aspects of Jesus was he was someone who was always full, perfectly balanced, with grace and truth. And I told you again that, that I tend to kind of be more heavy on truth. I kind of tend to lean into truth more than I do grace, which can kind of make me prone to kind of be very legalistic or judgmental. If you're here and you kind of, again, tend to lean into uh, and you're really more heavy on grace uh, than on, on truth. Uh, again, you're more prone to not just loving the sinner, but you're kind of okay with the sin as well. I mean, you'll be kind of light on sin. You'll kind of be tolerant of, of a lot of sin, and you just are soft on it. You don't want to make anybody uh, hurt any feelings or offend uh, anybody. And every one of us in this room, we all kind of tend to lean in one direction or the other, more toward grace or more toward truth. And again, the goal and the desire for us as a church, for individual believers, is to be like Jesus, that, that again, there's more of that balance, that, that fullness of both grace and truth together. And so in this series, we've kind of been looking at some places where maybe we've kind of seen more the fullness of, of the grace of Jesus and, and other situations where maybe we've kind of seen more the fullness of Jesus uh, who is all truth. And, and today, as you saw there on the video, I want to look at a story where I just think, again, you kind of just see the two come together so balanced and so uh, beautifully. And, and again, it just kind of reveals that flawless balance that Jesus had toward both grace and truth. So in, in John chapter 8, where the story comes from, it, it's about a woman who's kind of been caught literally red-handed. Now, we could say that this woman had kind of been caught, uh, you know, in, in the proverbial, you know, with her hand in the cookie jar, only this is no cookie jar. She's been caught with her hand in. It, it's something much worse. This woman had literally been caught in the very act of adultery, and she's now kind of being outed. She's being brought before this holy man, Jesus. She's being kind of dragged 
publicly and just kind of outed for her sin of adultery. Now, I'm sure, as you can well imagine, if you were in this situation, I'm sure this woman just felt completely humiliated. I'm sure she's embarrassed. She's probably ashamed and afraid. She's ashamed because, I mean, she's just been caught in the very act of having sex with somebody who was not her husband. She's afraid because she kind of knows what could happen because she's been caught. She realizes she runs the risk now of being, you know, stoned to death publicly. So she has a lot riding on things as it's kind of unfolding here. Not to mention, you know, we also know as we look at John's uh, story there in chapter 8, Jesus has a lot riding on this situation as well because uh, John makes it very, very clear that this really wasn't so much about this woman's sin of adultery as much as it was, was an opportunity for the Pharisees, the religious leaders, to kind of try to trap Jesus and to test him uh, and hoping that his response to this situation would give them grounds uh, to accuse him. So there's a lot going on in this story there in chapter 8. Now, regardless of where you are this morning, spiritually or morally, I want you to understand every one of us in this room, we can find ourselves somewhere in this story. Again, if you lean more into truth or you're more heavy on truth than grace and you think that, you know, uh, sin ought to be dealt with uh, in a tough and a strong way, then there's something here for you to learn. On the other hand, if you're someone who kind of, again, leans more toward grace, you're kind of more heavy on grace, and you think, you know, maybe sin should just be ignored, Maybe sin ought to just kind of be dealt with in a, in, a, in a kinder, in a more gentler way. There's something here for you to learn as well. If you're more into truth, you need to pay attention. If you're more into grace, you need to pay attention because there's something in this story for every one of us here this morning. Now, one of the things I think every one of us can take away from this story today is, again, that invitation to see and to begin to deal with other people the way God sees us and the way God deals with us. So I want to just look at some ways that, that Jesus kind of deals with this woman and, and how he kind of walks this out in that fullness and that balance of grace and truth. And first, we see truth in the reality of sin. Jesus doesn't skirt this. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't pretend it's not there. The story kind of takes place there in John chapter 8, beginning of verse 2. And it says, At dawn Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and Jesus sat down to teach them. Now this, again, incident kind of unfolds there in the uh, temple. Actually, it's the outer court of the temple. It was a place where everyone was uh, welcomed and they could gather. And they often would come to those places in the temple because they would get to hear the rabbis uh, and the teachers uh, 
teach scripture. And on this particular morning, Jesus is there in the temple doing this very thing. And as Jesus is teaching, uh, there comes this interruption found there in verse 3. And it says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And again, it's interesting that they don't bring the man I mean, she's been caught in the very act. The man had to have been there, but they choose just to bring uh, the woman, which is, again, interesting. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Now, suddenly, there's just, again, a bunch of teachers of the law, Pharisees. I mean, these are people who understood the law of Moses. They interrupt this service. They drag this woman across the courts, throw her at the feet of Jesus, and they literally accuse her of, of, an, of an act that could lead to her public stoning. Now, again, these, these are experts at spitting truth and killing grace. They're, 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 again, people who lean more heavily into truth than grace. And as far as they're concerned, this is an airtight case. I mean, I mean this is an open, closed case. We caught her red-handed. There were witnesses. There is no dispute here. Now, this was a woman, again, who had been caught in the very act here, and they're bringing her to Jesus and saying, we want you to pass judgment on her. Like I said, this woman... Um, and her adultery, it's not really the real issue here. And they bring her to Jesus because she's just a pawn in a much bigger chess game. They were not after her. They were really after Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus. And in verse 6, it says, they were saying this, testing Jesus so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote, on the ground. Now, why is this such a gotcha question? Because that's really what they were hoping this was. Why is this such a gotcha question? I mean, what was the potential trap? What was the test here? Well, if Jesus forgave the woman, he would be breaking God's law because it was plain in the law of Moses that anyone caught in the sin of adultery should be stoned. On the other hand, if Jesus condemned this woman to, to being stoned and agreed that she should be killed, he would be breaking government law because only Romans could order the execution of violators or criminals of the law. At this point, they're kind of under Roman occupation, and, and Jesus would be exercising Jewish authority over Roman authority, which again would have been grounds for them to have Jesus arrested. So there are several things at stake here. First of all, there's the law of Moses that is at stake because it's very, very plain and clear about the penalty for adultery which was death, and Jesus would feel this need to kind of uphold and support God's word. The life of this woman is, is obviously at stake because if the law was carried out and the woman died, Jesus would just be seen as another Pharisee, another religious zealot, 
uh, just another legalist. He would no longer be known as the friend of sinners. Verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So what does Jesus do? Well, verse 6 says that Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, this is interesting because this is the only place in all of Scripture where we know that Jesus wrote anything. And so, again, the question is, what was Jesus writing? As he stooped there in the ground and was writing in the ground, what is he writing? The simple, honest answer is, we don't know. Doesn't say. But it doesn't stop us from speculating, does it? Anybody's guess would be just pure speculation, but against it, it's not against the law to speculate. Let me speculate. I think one of the possibilities is, as he stooped there in the ground, he may have started writing down the names of all of the girlfriends these religious leaders and these Pharisees had committed adultery with. Maybe Jesus is kind of taking this opportunity to turn the tables upon them. They've come to make their case against her. Jesus may just be kind of making his case against them. And I say this because in verse 7 it says, when they kept on questioning him. Remember, Jesus stood up and he said, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he goes back onto the ground and he begins to write. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, what you may not realize in this response here, it doesn't come across as clearly in the English translation as it does in the Greek, which the original New Testament was written in. But essentially what Jesus is telling them is, he says, any one of you who is without this particular sin, not just sin in general, which they would have all agreed they were guilty of, but Jesus basically says to them, any of you who are not guilty of this particular sin, the sin of adultery, you be the first one to cast a stone at her. And just to make sure they got the point, and again, this is just speculation, this is just my theory, to make sure that they got the point, I'm sure Jesus just began to stoop down again and to write more and more of the names of the women that they had been guilty of, thinking that maybe we had gotten away with it. And again, that's just my speculation, because all of a sudden, Truth has somehow forced these self-righteous, these hypocritical, these pharisaical judges to see the reality, not just of her sin. They are now all of a sudden faced with their own sin. Truth shows you the reality of sin. And again, it reminds us of two things. One is every one of us in this room have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us here that can stand in judgment 
of another person about sin in their lives because we've all dealt with and have the same issues in our own lives. The second thing we need to understand is except for the grace of God, we can always be in the other person's place. I think it was Moody that said, for the, uh, except for the grace of God, there go I. We're all prone. We haven't been. We're all prone to every sin. We all face the same temptations. And except for the grace of God, we can very easily end up being and doing the things that we want to stand in judgment of others that have done it. That's why the saying is true. When you point one finger at somebody else, you better make sure to understand there are three that are pointing back at you. The story doesn't just end there. It's just getting started. Second thing is with grace, we can seek and we will find redemption of sin. Now, Jesus just has a way kind of, uh, of, of just clearing the field of all opponents. And, and it, it happens again here in this story. When they kept on questioning, Jesus straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without this particular sin of adultery, you be the first one to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground at this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, which is interesting, until only Jesus is left with the woman standing there. The accusers, the ones that brought her, they're all gone. And all that was left was Jesus and this adulterous woman. But you know what? She's not out of the woods yet. The facts haven't changed. She's been caught. Her reputation is probably going to be ruined if it wasn't already. She'll kind of have a reputation. She'll kind of be known as an adulterous woman probably the rest of her life. Whenever she goes out in public, people are probably going to point and whisper and talk. And again, it's not going to be hearsay. It isn't going to be gossip. She is guilty. They have witnesses. Everyone knows it. The Pharisees know it. The woman knows it. The witnesses standing around know it. And Jesus knows it. What she doesn't know, but she's going to come to find out, she is in the safest, best place she could possibly be, even though it may not have felt the safest or the best place she was because she was there with Jesus. She is guilty, but she is there with the one who is guiltless. She has been caught red-handed but she is standing with the one there who whenever he is caught, he is always clean-handed. She has broken God's law, but man, she is standing there with the one who wrote it and would become the fulfillment of it. You might say she has gone from the frying pan into the fire. I mean, she is there. She is braced for this hurricane of judgment. But all of a sudden, she just feels the cool breeze of God's grace because Jesus straightened up and asked her in verse 11, woman, where are thine accusers? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one. And Jesus said, neither do I 
condemn you. I want you to notice that he calls her woman. Now, I've said this before. In in Jesus' day, when you referred to someone as woman, it was a sign of respect. And I'm sure that this woman was taken back when Jesus called her woman because my guess is this particular person had probably never been referred to as woman before. But something amazing is about to happen. Because you see, the ones that were unqualified to condemn her couldn't. But the one who was qualified to condemn her didn't. What this woman thought was going to be the absolute worst day of her life, Jesus was about to turn it into the best day of her life. Jesus can do that for you this morning. You may be here, and you may feel like you are at one of the worst points of your life this morning. I just want you to know, if you come to Jesus, he can turn that around and make it the best day of your life. She looked at the hands of Jesus. As she looks around and she sees no one else, she looks at the hands of Jesus. And rather than Jesus holding rocks, she sees grace in one hand, truth in the other. And understand this, this was not a get out of jail free card. Because I want you to understand, forgiveness is never free. And the reason Jesus did not condemn this woman because of her sin and the reason that he doesn't condemn any of us for our sin was because he knew he was going to go to the cross and he was going to pay for and provide for her atonement and her forgiveness. Do you ever wonder? Do you ever ask yourself, how does God react when I sin? How does God react when I blow it? How does God react to me when I make mistakes? We see the heart of God in Jesus' response to the woman. He says, neither do I condemn you. When God sees our sin, when he sees our mistakes, when he sees our failures, he doesn't condemn us. And that's what Jesus does here. He's showing us the heart of God in his response. John 3.17, I say this all the time. John 3.16, most of us know that by heart. And it's a beautiful truth. It's a wonderful scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. All of us know that. We see that. But I always say John 3, 17 is just as important because it goes on to say that God did not, did not, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. That's the heart of God. While we were yet sinners, God looked at humanity and he said, I don't condemn you. I'm going to send you a Savior. And Jesus came to save us because he didn't want to condemn us. And it's the same thing with this woman. Neither do I condemn you. 
Do you realize that that's the story we're being written today? Do you know how most people would end this story? Right there. Neither do I condemn you. If this were being written today, our culture would say, end of story, enough has been said. But the story doesn't end there because with grace and truth, we show repentance from sin. I want you to see the last words Jesus says to this woman in verse 11. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Grace and truth. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Without that last statement, the story would be incomplete. It would be giving grace at the expense of truth. We've all heard the saying, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. And folks, that is a theologically, absolutely wonderful, beautiful truth. But I want you to notice, this woman's sin is forgiven, but it is not excused. Jesus is not just taking this as an opportunity to wink at her sin, pretending that the sin doesn't exist, sticking his head in the sand. The story does not teach that we cannot call wrong, wrong, and sin, sin. It doesn't teach that we cannot judge sinful actions of other people. Jesus was not saying only sinless people can judge the actions of other people. Now, if that's what Jesus was saying, we would not have justice. Because if judges today had to be perfect and sinless in order to be a judge, in order to judge others... We wouldn't have any judges sitting on the bench, and there would be no justice. So this is not what Jesus is wanting us to take away from the story. The truth is, we not only have the right to condemn whatever God and his word condemns, we have the responsibility to do so. Please hear me. We're not to judge the thief, but we are to judge his stealing. We are not to judge the liar, but we are to judge his lying. We are not to condemn to judge the adulterer, but we can judge the adultery as wrong, as sinful, as against the standard and heart of God. Condemning sin is not the same thing as judging the sinner. But we have conflated the two. And the church has mainly and mostly gone silent on a lot of areas where we need to be speaking truth with grace. On the other hand, notice the grace in this statement. He didn't say, if you will go and sin no more, I won't condemn you. Not what he says. He didn't say, if you'll promise me from now on, you won't do this again, I won't condemn you. What he said in effect was, I don't, now you don't. I don't condemn 
you go and leave your life of sin. You see, there are a lot of people today who want Jesus to say, neither do I condemn you, so just go and live however you want to live. Just go and sin some more, and if you do, I won't condemn you then either. When Jesus offers grace, it always comes with truth. Neither do I condemn you now. Go and sin no more. The biblical word for doing that is called repentance. When you turn to God and you receive his offer of grace and you turn away from that sin, that is repentance. And that's what he calls us to, is to go and to leave whatever it is that's causing the sin, the brokenness, in our lives. We're living in a culture again today that tells us it's wrong to say something is wrong. It's bad to say something is bad. I think that's crazy. See, if we as believers, if we refuse to condemn what God has condemned, if we refuse to judge what God has judged, that is not, that's neither loving nor graceful. It is cowardliness. It's cowardness. God gave us a voice. He gives us convictions. And he gives us courage to speak grace and truth. And if we don't use our voice for both, we lose our voice or either. If you don't use your voice for grace and truth, you will lose your voice, your influence for either. I want us to be known as a church, again, more for what we are for, less than what we're against. But the truth is, when you stand for something, you're automatically going to stand against something. We don't know this woman's name, but I am glad we know her story. Because like I said, we, every one of us can find ourselves somewhere in this story because this is a story of what it means to walk fully and perfectly balanced in grace and truth and how Jesus was filled with both. And there's no better story to illustrate that than this. And what is sad is that many times unbelievers encounter only two kinds of believers, those who speak truth without grace and those who are super, super nice but never share the truth. What we need to be and will be if we're full of Jesus, if we're walking more and more in the, the fullness and the uh, image of Jesus is one of those things that's going to happen in our lives is we're going to find ourselves fuller and more balanced with grace and truth. So there is balance. There is grace and there is truth. There is redemption. But there's also that call to repentance. There is, I forgive your sin. But there is also, now, go and leave your life of sin. Both are found in Jesus. Both need to be found in us. Both need to be found in our church. Amen? 
Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.